I'm sure that many of you are aware of the things that happened in Charlottesville last week. Um, apparently, uh, neo-Nazis uh, fought the Antifa, the anti-fascists, over whether or not we should um, tear down uh, statues of Confederate soldiers. Um, I, I don't know what to say about all that. What, what strikes me, though, what's interesting to me, is that uh, a lot of the, um, the white nationalists, uh, they, they claim to be um, trying to defend Christianity, trying to protect Christianity um, in, uh, in the United States of America. And I, I, I found that so interesting um, that, that some of these people apparently are, you know, they, they go to church, they, um, I guess they're committed, and, and ultimately that has led them to the conclusion that they should um, do the stuff that they're, you know, riot, things like that. Um, in, in, in one case, uh, obviously someone died. Uh, that, that, I, that strikes me as, as, as wrong. Well, I, uh, and, and it's crazy. I'm wondering who the uh, who their pastors are. I'm wondering what their churches are like. I'm wondering uh, if if their churches maybe are producing not great fruit. I'm wondering if uh, the Christian gospel is somehow changed or or or, or messed up or twisted when it leads uh, to this kind of um, exclusionary violence. And then that, that sort of uh, gets me thinking, because, you know, at our church, we, we preach a free grace message. We believe that as soon as you believe in the name of Jesus Christ, you have eternal life, that you are sealed for eternity. You're going to heaven. One of the things we also say is on top of that, though, the way, the way that you live your life now, the commitments that you make and the activities that you participate in will be reflected in your eternal experience of heaven. We say things like, to have a superlative experience of heaven, you, you need to have good fruits here. We'll say uh, things like, in order to be rewarded in heaven, to, to receive the crown of righteousness, to have that kind of experience of heaven, it, it's largely dependent on how we as, as, a, as people, and really as a church, um, produce fruit and, and, and are following Jesus now. And so it's really, really important to me, and I really hope it's important to you, that whatever our church is doing, it's producing good fruit and not bad fruit. I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to even argue in, in, in a second that, that when we talk about good fruit and bad fruit, we're not talking about individual people. We're talking about communities of faith, that churches, churches are responsible for good fruit or bad fruit, the way that they attend to the Spirit. And that brings up a really scary question. How can we be sure that this church will bear good fruit? How can we be sure that we'll be fruitful as a church? And good fruit, not Charlottesville fruit. How can we be sure about that? Um, I'm going to ask you to hold that that question in your mind as we um, journey through uh, the scripture today and and to hear what John says, because I think he really gives us an answer to that question, something that we can hold on to and be assured of. And so let's, let's read it together. This is 1 John 4, 1 to 3. This is uh, my translation. Um, it's just really trying to smooth it so that it really comes alive in English, the way that original Greek um, speaking hearers would have heard it. John says, Dear friends, don't trust every spirit. Instead, evaluate the spirits to see if they come from God. Because many false prophets have gone out into the world. This is how you will know a spirit is from God. Every spirit that confesses that that Messiah Jesus, Jesus Christ, came as a human being, is from God. 
Likewise, any spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. Indeed, this is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you have heard is coming and now is already in the world. Um, just to look how, how, how much spirit is a part of this text. Spirit, spirit, spirits. Um, I, I think that it might be, well, it's probably not how we normally talk. We, well, this is not a Pentecostal charismatic church. Uh, if you go to a Pentecostal charismatic church, our brothers and sisters there will say things like, Lord, we pray against this spirit of error. We pray against this spirit of pride. We pray for a spirit of peace. That's kind of the language that you'll hear in a Pentecostal charismatic church. Well, uh, I'm not sure what to say about that, but I do think it's important for us to understand what John is talking about when he talks about spirits. It's a real thing. It's out there. And I, I'd like, us for, like for us to understand what that means. And so first, I just wanted to give you a sense of kind of the cosmology or the way that um, ancient Jewish people uh, saw the world. Um, and so I have this right here. This is kind of like a picture of kind of their cosmology, the way that they understood the world to be. Um, and, and as a result of this, you'll notice that like there's, there's a, an ocean above heaven. This is um, responsible for rain and ultimately the flood. Um, and there's the firmament with the stars, the sun, and the moon, and the stars. And then there's the highest heaven uh, where God lives above that. Um, now, by the time that John is, is, is speaking and preaching, uh, he's, been, he's collided with a Greek worldview. And the Greeks were, were slightly different, not terribly different, but slightly different. And their, um, their, their universe looked a little bit like this because they had, had been trying to figure out how it is that the heavens moved. And so they would look up um, at the stars and the planets, and they would see that the planets move differently than the stars around them and that they're brighter. And so they came up with these uh, models to try and explain how the heavenly bodies were moving. Now that's important because in the ancient world, uh, the sun, the moon, Mercury, Venus, Mars, these were thought to be gods, right? It wasn't that they didn't look up at the sun and see, you know, a, a fission, what is it, a ball of fission, fusion, gas, something, I can't, there's something that's going on with the sun, a lot of fire, very hot. That's not what they saw. They, 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 they saw, you know, Helios and, and, and various gods and whatnot. And in fact, the stars were thought to kind of influence, influence events, um, this is why astrology was such a big deal in the ancient world. It was, uh, they, they really, really believed that there was some kind of um, influence and power that stars and planets, uh, the gods and, and spirits, um, had over, over humanity. And really not spirits, more, more like uh, gods and goddesses. But then in order for the gods and goddesses to affect our lives, because they're stuck up there, right? They're the sun, the moon, they're stuck far away. In order to affect our lives, they need mediators, they need um, helpers, Right? And this is really kind of what spirits are. Spirits are sort of these, these mediating presences that, that, that come down and, and influence life um, from the heavenly places. Now I can show you that, that John uh, thought something similar. Uh, it's probably different because John doesn't believe that m the moon and Mercury are gods. Uh, John believes in one god. But he does believe in angelic and demonic forces. He knows that those are real in the unseen world. And so he, he kind of has a similar idea. I want to show you a couple of things um, that he says in Revelation. Uh, listen to this. John, to the seven churches which are in Asia, grace to you and peace from him who is and who was and who is to come and from the seven spirits who are before his throne. Um, and he'll go on to end from Jesus Christ and explain who he is and what he's done. But it says, though God in his throne room has these, these spirits, and presumably when God is, is working or interacting with the world, these spirits can go out and help to do his bidding. 
Um, later in, in, in John, there's, there's not just good spirits, but there's also bad spirits too. I saw three unclean spirits like frogs coming out of the mouth of the dragon, out of the mouth of the beast, and out of the mouth of the false prophet. You hear that false prophet? We're going to hear about false prophets in our text. For they are spirits of demons. They perform signs. They go out to the kings of the earth and of the whole world to gather them to the battle of that great day of God Almighty. John's foreseeing a, a, a time when um, the spirits of, the, of demons will come and they'll actually imp- impact and influence and, and power um, human beings. And they, 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 they sort of they, they come out of the mouth. It's almost as though words are the um, speech, is the vehicle by which the spirits act, right? They come out of the mouth of the dragon, out of the mouth of the beast, out of the mouth of the false prophet. And they, and they give the ability to, to do impressive things, signs. And when they do go out, they get the leaders of the world so riled up um, that they're, they're ready to fight and battle against God. I mean, there's so much to say there, but, but think, I mean, it's not as though the, the spirits are, are, are puppet masters, but they are somehow influencing. They are somehow empowering. They are somehow making things happen in the world. And, and, and on, in this case, they are, they're the minions of demons. The demonic, the enemy, Satan. If we um, can go to the next slide. This is what spirits are. They're batteries. Uh, and, and if you ever, I mean, I'm, I'm dying. I would love it if someday one of my kids came up and was like, I'd like to be the Energizer Bunny for Halloween. I mean, who's ever heard that? That's awesome. Uh, but it's true. Spirits are like batteries. They're like battery power. And, and it seems like they come through people, right? They're, they're working in and through people, especially their words, their speech, right? Um, and, and if you don't have the battery, if you don't have the power, nothing gets done. So every church, every person is going to be influenced by the spirits. I love the, um, the cell phone battery um, because I think it helps illustrate something. Uh, have you noticed that no matter where you are or what you're doing, you're always very aware of how much cell phone battery you have left? Like you will not do anything um, that, will, that has the, the possibility that you'll be, oh no, I don't have it. I'm like, oh no, no. You're always, you're always going to be sure that you're close to a, a plug and that you've got your thing with you. I mean, and, and nothing is worse in your day than, than running out of your cell phone battery. Notice then that your cell phone battery influences your behavior. Yeah, that's true. Your cell phone battery tells you what to do. And you do it because you love you know, the internet and texting so much. But it's not as though the cell phone battery is like pulling the strings and controlling you like a puppet. The cell phone battery is not saying you, you must do this, you must do that. But it is slightly influencing, powerfully, influencing your behavior and your, and your thought processes because it has something of value that you want, namely the power to go on the internet and post on Instagram. Similarly, John sees the spirits as having not only the power uh, to make things happen in people and in communities, but he also sees them as influencing and shaping our actions and activities, not controlling us like robots, but, but pushing us in this direction or in that direction. That's, uh, the first thing on your note sheets is, is about um, the spirits. John thinks of spirits as animating angelic or demonic forces that power and influence people and institutions. Animating, angelic or demonic, power and influence, people and institutions. 
And it might be worth noting that uh, institutions, too, have a spirit to them. You know, uh, Google, right? Google. They, what's, does anyone know their, uh, their, their uh, motto? Nobody knows Google's motto? Who cares? Yeah. Don't be evil. Yeah, Google has a motto. Their, their motto is don't be evil. And so when the, when the Chinese are like, um, hey, when you do the Google search, Mr. Google, make sure that you don't have anything that might promote democracy. And Google's like, you got it, friends. That sounds a little evil to me. It sounds like a, that, that almost a, Google has a, a kind of a corporate institutional, um, I don't know, uh, ethic or morality. And yet it seems to me that it's not exactly as angelic as we might want. Or maybe even they might want. And, and somehow the people within Google are being influenced and empowered to do really incredible things, but maybe slightly twisted things as well. Let's go to the next slide. Dear friends, don't trust every spirit. Instead, evaluate the spirits to see if they come from God. Many false prophets have gone out into the world. This is how you will know a spirit is from God. Every spirit that confesses that Messiah Jesus came as a human being is from God. Likewise, any spirit that doesn't confess Jesus is not from God. Indeed, this is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you have heard is coming and now is already in the world. There's people out there. And, and in, in John's context, what's happening is the community of the church is, is, is vibrant, and it's alive, and it's growing, right? And so people will come into their midst, and people will come and they'll say, Hey, I love Jesus too. And like, oh, really? Awesome. We need people who love Jesus. And they'll say, yeah, and, and hey, I've got some cool information about him. He's such and such. He's this and that. And this is how we worship him. And this is how we follow him. Is that true? There's a lot of spirits in the world. Remember in Revelation, you know, there are spirits that, that influence the kings of the world to go to battle. Those spirits are pretty obviously against God, right? They're causing war and violence. But what if, what if the church too was subject to being influenced and infiltrated by spirits? What if the church too was subject to, um, I don't know, some false teacher coming in and influencing us and changing the way we think? What would that look like? Well, it sure wouldn't be someone coming in and being like, forget this Jesus fellow. He's wrong. It certainly wouldn't be someone coming in and saying, I can't stand God. Instead, instead, if the enemy is at all subtle, is at all savvy, what the enemy is going to do is send in spirits that sound a whole lot like what we already think and say and do, right? They'd be wanting to sound, kind of fool us a little bit. When we see prophets, uh, prophets aren't necessarily people who tell the future, although they can do that. Um, prophets are people who tell us what's up. What's real? And this is what Jesus has to say about false prophets. Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravenous wolves. Hear that language, sheep and wolves? When you hear sheep in the New Testament, do not think individual Christian. Think community. Think church. It's the most common uh, metaphor that's, that's used to describe the church in the New Testament. Shepherd and sheep. But inwardly they're ravenous wolves. You will know them by their fruits. Do men gather grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Even so, every good tree, and when we hear tree, don't just think about the false prophet who's been powered by the Spirit. Think about the church that follows him. Every good tree bears, bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a bad tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. 
Therefore, by their fruits, you will know them. If we're thinking um, with Jesus here and we're thinking about the possibility that, that communities and churches can be corrupted and sent off the path and they can be influenced by, by enemy spirits, well then look out what's going to happen to them. They're going to get thrown in the fire. These churches will be wiped out. Why? Because something really, really bad has happened to them. This is the second thing I think in your note sheets is um, enemy spirits threaten to make a church useless for the kingdom or worse, damaging to it. I I don't know what to say um, about Charlottesville other than I don't think that um, the church was built up, that the kingdom was built up by what we saw. I don't think that the the Christians who were participating... um, we're bearing good fruit for the kingdom. And I worry, I worry that their communities of faith are near to being thrown into the fire. By that, I don't mean um, hell, but I do mean being destroyed, beat up, sent out, because what they're doing is wrong. Well, this brings up the question, then, if it's possible, even for a community of faith, to be in danger of bearing bad fruit, then what is it that we must do? How can we be sure that we will bear good fruit instead? Let's go back to the text and hear what John has to say. He says, uh, first, evaluate the spirits. I titled the the sermon, Discerning the Spirits. Um, That's the more traditional translation, but it's really evaluate. In fact, there's a a, a scholar who likes to say, test the spirits, Give give the spirits a test. And he literally thinks that what John's saying is that when someone comes into your community, you sit them down and you give them like a theological quiz. And if they pass it, they're okay. And if they don't, then they're not allowed to talk. Um, that might be a little extreme, but uh, you can see his, his point. Evaluate the spirits to see if they come from God. And here's how you're going to know. Every spirit that confesses that Messiah Jesus came as a human being is from God. If you're familiar with the New King James, that's um, that Jesus Christ came in the flesh and sarks. Really, a, a really solid, grounded way to, to gloss that might be uh, came as a flesh and blood human being, not some ghostly spirit. He came as a, a flesh and blood human being. And any spirit that doesn't confess Jesus is not from God. I want to explain a little bit about this. At the time when John was uh, preaching and teaching, uh, there was a, a lot of people who wanted to deny that Jesus was a human being. And there's two big reasons for this. Uh, the first will be unfamiliar to us, and the other will be very familiar. Uh, the first is that they, they wanted people um, to, to think that bodies uh, are, are, a, are a barrier to spirituality. Right? Your body is getting in the way of you knowing God. And what Jesus, uh, Jesus didn't need flesh because flesh is bad. In fact, if you want to know God really well, you have to um, practice things like, like um, uh, you know, hurting yourself, um, abstaining from all sexual uh, intimacy, um, abstaining from food and drink that are good for long, long periods of time. Uh, sometimes, yeah, like uh, just withdrawing yourself from a community. Really radical ascetic practices. Because these things are getting in between you and God. The real you is your soul, and, and your flesh is dragging your soul down. And so they said, Jesus wasn't human. No way. That's a little weird for us in Orange County. Not a lot of self-flagellating monks around here. Uh, But what's a little more familiar is other people would say, oh yeah, yeah, your body doesn't matter. So you should have a lot of fun. Like really use that thing. 
Get going, friends. It doesn't matter. There, nothing that you do in your body can affect your spiritual connection to God because it's just your soul. Jesus himself, the way that he lived didn't matter at all. Just do, do whatever you like and, and enjoy all the good things that life has to offer. Never practice self-control because why would you need to? It has no bearing on what your soul is like. Well, that was then. This is now. In today's uh, culture, especially in church culture, you're not going to find a lot of churches who um, will say that you know, Jesus didn't come as a human being. Uh, the Council of Nicaea kind of uh, said that that's heresy. You will find churches that say he only came as a human being, uh, that you know, he was just a really great guy, and we should thank him for that. Um, one wonders why you even gather at that point, but that's what they'll say. Uh, but we're, 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 not used to, um, we're not used to these kinds of teachings and heresies. And that, that's really located more in, in the early church. And yet, I think what John's getting at, what he's, what he's pushing us towards, is he's saying, if you want to know whether or not a spirit is from God, then you've got to ask that spirit, that person, that teacher, that prophet, those people, that church, what they think about Jesus. That's what you've got to ask them. Tell me what's true about Jesus. And here's what you're going to find. Churches and people and prophets and teachers who have bad fruit don't tell the whole truth about Jesus. They like to ignore some parts of Jesus. They like to forget about this part of Jesus. They do not want to tell the whole truth about Jesus. I think uh, that's the next thing in your, in your, your note sheets. The Holy Spirit always confesses the whole truth about Jesus. Everything. He was divine, human. He lived this incredible life where he showed what it was like when God lives with people. He died sacrificially. He paid for sins. He rose victorious over death and the enemy. He gave his spirit to the church. He's coming again in his kingdom. There's a whole story about how Jesus is and who he was and who he will be and who he remains. And if we leave any part of that out, any part, we are in danger. If there's any piece of Christ that we ignore or set aside or shove down or, or leave to the, we are on the path. We are being moved aside by the spirits. And we are following something that will end up with us doing things that are detrimental to the kingdom of God. Let's have the next slide. So evaluate the spirits. See if they come from God. See if they tell everything there is to know about Jesus. If so, they'll look like this. Like this. Yes! Mm -hmm. I like food. I like eating it. I like smelling it. I like looking at it. I might even have a little bit of a problem with it. I'm not... Not ready to go down that road just yet. Notice, uh, this, this is what you might call um, a very well-balanced, healthy meal. When I was growing up, there's Brussels sprouts up there at the top left. When I was growing up, Brussels sprouts were a joke in my household uh, because they were so horrible that only a fool would eat them. Then a couple years ago, I had Brussels sprouts with, with bacon on top uh, and, uh, and like a little bit of olive oil, salt, pepper, baked in the oven for, at 400 for 20 minutes. Wow, that stuff's awesome. I think my parents, the problem was they were just boiling it until it became like a slop. And then they were eating it with, no, uh, yeah, that would be horrible. Like, right. But really, Brussels sprouts are pretty great. Uh, bottom right there, you've got what's called an avocado salsa. I don't know if that's really, I th think it's just avocados. 
and maybe a couple of onions. I don't know how that's salsa. But look, oh, you know, a salmon. I mean, that's healthy. That's good for you. It's got these uh, omega whatever. Which omega is it? Omega-3, of course. Stu knows. Stu's living forever. Awesome, man. Uh, All right. Omega-3s, which are a thing that are good for you. Um, And then, you know, rice, because uh, you got to have long-lasting energy. Uh, you got to have a little bit of carbs. That's what your meal is supposed to look like. This is what my meals look like. Mm -hmm. Yes. Dude, seriously, look at that sandwich. I mean, look, it's like a triple-decker. So yeah, chicken, bell peppers, everything. Lot. Notice that this is this meal is pretty protein, carb heavy. Notice also there's no proportion here. It's like what oh, more is better. America, Labor Day picnic. Come out, we're gonna have an awesome time. It's gonna be rad. Hot dogs and hamburgers. Uh, notice there's two cokes. One's not enough. Yeah. So there's, there's no sense of proportionality. There's certainly no sense of balance. And there is something really creepy about that girl. I zoomed in to see what she really looks like. If anyone ever looks at you like that, run. There's nothing but hate behind that smile. Yes. That's what Aaron looks like when she gives me my food. I am trying to, I'm kidding. Joke. Ha ha. Um, the, the point, uh, the point, of course, is that, is that um, the way that we naturally want to eat is that we want to go after, like, just the stuff that we like, you know? That's what we want. We want just more protein, more carbs for Tom, you know? Nothing approaching balance, nothing approaching, um, you know, health or proportionality. Uh, I want to ignore all the, okay, Brussels sprouts are all right, but for the most part, all vegetables and certainly fruit, that's terrible. Um, I, give me more, give me less. I want to have a plate that looks like the way I want it to look. But a fruitful church feasts on a well-balanced Christ. Um, the problem in, in every church, and John was experiencing it, and uh, he was warning against it, is that, that the enemy is going to know what tickles your ears, right? The enemy is going to know what kind of Jesus you want to talk about. And the enemy's going to say, keep talking about that. It's good. Ignore everything else. You know, some people, uh, they, they like to talk about the fact that Jesus saves us from our sins. And that's a true thing. That's a good thing. That's an important thing. That's not the only thing Jesus did. And if you only talk about that over and over and over, you're going to miss and you're going to lose out on the whole Christ, the well-balanced Christ, and your meals are going to be out of control. And pretty soon, your entire church, your community of faith is going to be skewed to a side because you have ignored the whole Christ and you've only gone after just this one Christ that you like. In John's day, it was people who you know, didn't want to talk about Jesus' humanity. In our day, I think it's a little bit different. I think, um, I think that typically uh, churches want to focus 100% on, on how Jesus saves. I think that's a big deal in conservative churches because we know that there's a lot of churches out there that have forgotten or ignore that Jesus really did pay for our sins, that he really did come back from the dead. And so we want to hold on to that and focus on that. But I wonder if that's really balanced. I wonder if that's... Uh, if it's in danger of us being whispered to and pulled off the track such that we're not powerful, such that we as a church community may be 100% behind the truth and yet our fruit isn't, isn't there. I wonder if there's been falsehood that's seeped into our veins. 
So I, I've been thinking, and this is really me um, kind of yelling at myself, not you. Uh, but maybe you're like me, and maybe some of these things you hear, and you're like, yeah, okay, I, I could see that. Um, so just here's an idea for an idea for me. You have uh, here a well-balanced Christ at CBC, and I have five things here. If you don't like any of mine, that's cool. Uh, replace them with the ones that um, make more sense to you. But these are things that I think about our church. I think about our community of faith, and I've been here a long time. I know us really, really well. Um, and I'm wondering if these are parts of, of the, the full picture of Christ that we've maybe moved away from a little bit, ignored a little bit, downplayed. Not that we don't believe, but that we have missed. And I wonder if that's hurting our ability to have good fruit. The first is that Jesus was kingdom enacting. When Jesus came, he, he um, you know, the Gnostics, they, they, uh, they wanted to ignore Jesus' life entirely. Forget that he did stuff. Who cares? Um, let's just get to the important part where he was raised to the Father. That's what the Gnostics liked about Jesus. I think similarly, sometimes we have a tendency to forget that when Jesus came, he came in power. And he came to liberate the captives. He came to care for the poor. He came to bring the good news of the gospel to people who had never heard it and who needed it a lot. Wherever he went, the kingdom came with him. And it was around him. And the really God's rule settled into the hearts of people. And it changed actual lives. Sometimes I, I worry that we're, we, 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 we will focus so much on, on making sure we get our, 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 our eyes dotted and T's crossed that we forget that we have been called to, to preach a gospel that changes the world. Um, similar to that, uh, number two, I, missional. Uh, and by mission, I, I mean outwardly focused. Sometimes I worry. It's how many, Doug, how long has it been since I went to Haiti? Seven years. Is that true? No. Eight years. Okay. So like I said, this is confession time. Just you and me, being honest, being forthright. I'm wondering, have I been so focused on other things? that I'm losing um, in my own life and, and heart a desire to be a part of God's outward focus on the world? Am I so caught up that, um, in whatever that, that, that I'm, I'm not remembering that, that Jesus didn't stay in Nazareth. He went out. Paul didn't stay in Jerusalem. He went out. That Jesus went out. To, we have at our church, we, we sponsor um, two incredible ministries. One to Haiti with Grongu and the other Camp Allendale, uh, a home for abused and neglected children in Orange County. And it's been a long time since I've been involved in those things. And I'm wondering, has it been a long time for a lot of us? And maybe we need to start thinking about that. Have we lost a little piece, really important piece, of who Jesus is? And is that impacting our ability to, to bear fruit? Uh, number three is self-sacrificial. Yeah, it did cost Jesus a lot, didn't it? And not only did it cost a lot, you know, he never glorified himself in his, in his self-giving. He gave freely, and he never pointed at himself. He never asked people to look at how great he is and how awesome he is. He just gave because it was important to do it because he knew that it was God's mission was his mission. And I'm wondering, do I kind of... I, I feel like sometimes I make sacrifices. Not very many, but occasionally. But when I do, I sort of wonder, 
is it so that people think I'm awesome? And isn't that kind of what I'm really about? And have I lost, in some sense, the fact that I follow a Christ who came to serve and not to be served? Who washed his disciples' feet and didn't insist that anyone know about it? Number four, hospitable. How many times is, uh, is, is Jesus dining with people? Especially in the Gospel of Luke. We went through Luke a couple years back, and it's just so fascinating how, um, how Jesus... It, remember, Jesus is the life of God in the world, right? So God's up there in the heavens, and then God shows us in Christ exactly what he's like and how he would live if he were here. And one of the things we see over and over again is people gathering together and eating and communing together. And it doesn't matter if you're like a prostitute and it doesn't matter if you're a tax collector and it doesn't matter if you're just not great, great, good enough. Everyone's welcomed in. Homes are opened and people join in together. That is a fundamental part of Jesus' ministry. And I'm, I'll be honest with you, I don't like it when you guys come to my house. And, and it's, I have no choice because it's not even my house, it's the church's. So it's like, I've got to do it, you know, like you're twisting my arm. You know, but I, I want to just, I want to sit in my own little cocoon and be left alone. Which is exactly the opposite of who Jesus was. And I'm wondering, do we have some of that in our, in our DNA? Uh, have, have we lost a sense of what it's like to be open uh, to others, to people that we don't know, and to bring them in? I'm so encouraged, so encouraged, and we're going to double down on this um, by uh, the, um, the Supper Club small group. And it, and by small, we mean medium to large group. In fact, huge group, because I think there were like 50 people uh, involved in it, which is not small at all. So the Supper Club um, was a tremendous success, and, and all it was was the Livingstons and the Grimms just figured out ways to open their home and let people come and dine together. And I look at that and I'm like, good for them. But not for me. And I'm wondering, wait a minute. Maybe I've lost a little bit of who Christ was in the world. Maybe I've lost a little bit of that gospel. Maybe I've been whispering so much about making sure the theology is right that we miss the theology. This is who God is when he lives with us. This is what he looks like. Last but not least, generous. You know what I like about my stuff most? It's mine. Uh, Aaron and I, we do. We'll we'll be very honest about this. Generosity is something that's hard for us um, because we want to feel safe. We want to feel secure. Um, And yet, the very being of God is gracious generosity to all and sundry, gathering people in, giving them freely of his grace, his forgiveness, his mercy, and even blessing their lives as needed. And I wonder, have we closed up our hearts a little bit? Or at least me. Have I closed up my heart a little bit? And do I need to, to confess that and to be open again to a gracious, open-handed um, welcome and, and, and generosity to people and to the church? So those are just a couple of my thoughts. Uh, and again, like I said, not yelling at you, yelling at me. Um, but maybe some of those resonate, and maybe they don't. Maybe there's other things that you can think about where you're like, yeah, that's who Christ was in his divinity, in his humanity, in his life, in his death, in his resurrection, in his kingdom. And I have been ignoring it in my life. Because friends, remember, the spirits that empower us bring us power. Our church is going to have fruit one way or the other. 
We are going to be empowered either by the Holy Spirit or by some deceptive, clever spirit that has a, a simulacrum, a false Jesus. And when we do that, are we going to be the people who, following the true spirit, produce the fruit that God will say to all of us, well done, good and faithful servant? Or are we going to produce the fruit of which he is ashamed that he must cut down our church and put it in the fire? We sing the same power. I believe that. We have the same power today as John's church did. The question is, who is empowering us? And are we testing and evaluating the spirits? Let's pray. Gracious God and Father, I pray that our church will be empowered by your true spirit, preaching a full and complete gospel, a complete testimony of your son, his divinity, his humanity, his life, death, resurrection, the church he gives and the the kingdom he will fully enact when he returns. I pray, God, that if there are blind spots, places where we've been turned aside, that you will right our eyes, that you will entrust us your full and complete truth about Christ, that we will be a church that bears good, blessing fruits to the world and to you, that you will look at us in the last day and say, well done, I am pleased. This we ask in the name of Jesus, whose blood makes all things possible. Amen.